You guys, just real quick, trigger warning for everything. This one is real dark. This yeah. one is real dark. We love you. Stay safe out there. Remember we did an episode where we did a spectrum of Nancy's where it was like Nancy Kerrigan was the best and Nancy Grace was the worst. And then Nancy from Imposter was like in the middle of the FBI lady. Yeah, I know you love Nancy Kerrigan so much. So I just say, <laughs> let's play the theme song and let's get into it. All right. I, All right, I, I can't ruin a whole bit we had and say, I don't think Nancy should really be at the perfect end of that spectrum. She sent me a cameo video for my birthday. I I'm know. just saying. I'm also saying, <laughs> Julian Pensavale. Patrick Hines. Ba-da-da. You know, recording in a sauna really opens I- up the throat. <laughs> Ugh. It's so hot in here. It's, it's like, it's it's February, but and it's sweltering, <laughs> sweltering hot. Before we get to the show, just a reminder, you guys, we're going to Broadway. Give my regards to Broadway. Oh, we can. I know. Then, Monday, June 1st, because we're going to be there. You guys, we are truly almost out of tickets. If you're coming to see us make history as the first podcast to ever play Broadway, oh my God. get your tickets. We're bringing our Broadway friends, Justin Guarini, Ellen Marsh, Leslie Margarita. Yep. We're recapping that documentary, Frank Serpico. Get ready to learn about the wallpaper in the downstairs bath. And you're saying that because it's like very New York in the 70s. Exactly. We're going to definitely see that shot of the TV floating in the Hudson River. <laughs> and the, the big high rise on the upper east or west side that's just demolished. Uh. Um, also, you guys, if you want more Jillian and me, get the Patreon at the $5 level. You get over 100 full bonus episodes to download right the second. Yeah. It's where we do the series. Right. And there's also like ad-free versions of these episodes that's too true. on there. That's true. Yep. The there's thing. after parties. The series that we have done so far, Making a Murderer, The Jinx, The Staircase, Lorena, Serial Season 1, Don't uh, F with Cats, Don't F with Cats, Lacey Peterson, Aaron Hernandez, Aaron Hernandez, we're we're OJ. Go- we're going to be doing McMillions, so stay tuned for McMillions that. McMillions is coming up next. Because we're doing Natalie Holloway right now. That's we're right. We're doing McMillions next. I see you guys. I see you on the social meds. I can't wait to do it. I know. We're going to do it. We're doing it. Um, And we love you. Come hang out with us if you want more of us. If you don't, who could blame you? Yeah, I mean, look, whatever you want to do, I just self-care. Speaking of self-care, you're going to need it. <laughs> the Dahmer. Don't like him. Not a fan. Hard pass on the Dahmer-ness of it all. Girl, I have in my notes, oh my God, one of the prosecutors says a foot in this episode. <laughs> Something is a foot. It's I a foot. I don't know, remember what it was, but it made me laugh. It made me laugh when I really needed it. Right. A foot leads me to a muck, and then I'm just at Hocus Pocus. A right. muck, a muck, a muck, a muck, a muck. <laughs> no one, no one had a clue as to what was happening for, for over a decade. We became like a killing machine out of control. It just seemed to be an absence of any moral compass. He was an evil man. The manager came up and complained about the smell. He told the manager, well, my fish died. He had a very good disguise. I had uh, these obsessive uh, desires and and, uh, thoughts wanting to control them. He immediately said, when you find out what I did, you're going to want to kill me. You love who the true human being is, and you take that with you to your grave. You seem like a very normal boy. He covered up so much. Murder, necrophilia, zombies, religious ritual, fats and acid, body parts, aroused, consuming, grilling, cooked them, bad people. He was our son. So we're at 1990. Yeah. And at this point, Jeffrey Dahmer's body count was seven. And he's had a lot of close calls, but he's never been caught. Right. And Nancy Glass wants to tell us one more time how fucking normal Jeffrey Dahmer seemed. After months of phone calls and letters, I'm sitting across from Jeffrey Dahmer in a small prison meeting room. And face to face, I can see how he got away with his terrible crimes. He appears completely normal. That's what made him so frightening. I mean, this is Ted Bundy all over again. I'm so annoyed about it. Like, he's just a mediocre white dude. Stop. Stop with this. I know. If there's a smell that you don't like, that your body's like, oh my God, something horrible happened, don't just be like, well, he said sorry. No. 
Let's properly investigate these <laughs> monsters. Yeah. I'm sick of it. There's a lot of not properly investigating that happens in this episode that is mind boggling. Right. Well, we're here with Dr. Park Dietz. Yeah. He's a forensic psychiatrist and he's the prosecution's key witness. Yeah. And he's like, gather around. Let's talk about necrophilia. And I'm like, I don't want to. I know. I quit. I don't want to. I don't. The right way to think of him is as having necrophilia. Now, usually we think of necrophilia as being about corpses. I think it's more than that. I think it is control over the completely passive, compliant partner that he could fondle, hug, touch, and lie with as long as possible. But his point here is to say that like necrophilia is obviously people who have sex with dead bodies and he's saying like Jeffrey Dahmer was trying to accomplish that while the person was still alive. That's why he's drugging them, sedating them so deeply that they're basically dead bodies when he's sexually violating them. So one of the doctors tell us that Dahmer says he didn't actually enjoy killing people but he just had to do it. Well see here's where E. Michael McCann prosecutor comes in (laughs) and for these next five seconds I don't know much about him personally but I enjoy him because he's like he always said he didn't enjoy murdering people he said that i don't doubt that but he enjoyed getting sex and he enjoyed getting it against their will and he did what he had to do to get it fine he didn't like murdering people but he sure did enjoy having sex with them against their will so (laughs) and then he did murder them so i kind of don't care if he didn't like it or not he did it right you know what i don't like running you know what i don't do run I don't really like Thai food. I'm not going to eat Thai food. If I don't like certain things, you know who's not doing it? Me. Right, totally. To a fault. If I don't like something, I'm not doing it. I'm not. If she's in there, I'm not going in there. I'm not going to fake be nice to her. I don't have that kind of time. So, okay. I'm not going to go with them. Well, he didn't like murdering. He just did it. I don't care. He still murdered somebody. He murdered 17 people. God. And the thing that he liked was raping people and dismembering. Like, enough. I, I'm, I'm done. Well, I've got more bad news for you. Because oh, no. they want us to understand that he also really didn't like the dismembering part. To dispose of them required dismembering them. He hated this process. But he, if he drank enough, he could lay down sheets of plastic, begin the process of cutting and the hard work of dismembering and putting body parts in vats of acid. Again, I don't like jogging. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to go jogging. They also tell us that like in order to do it, like he hated doing it, but in order to do it, he would just get hammered. Mm -hmm. Well, that's like the 70s, 80s and 90s for you. That was like DNA wasn't a thing. Like you couldn't really do that now because you'd be so sloppy and there would be so much DNA and evidence. But he was just like, and again, he's like mediocre white guy. I'm good. Yeah. I can be as sloppy and as horrible as I want to be. It's going to be fine. I can talk my way out of anything. I can have a car full of trash bags full of bodies. And if I get pulled over, a cop's not going to ask me any questions. Who, he pulled him over for a reason. Yeah. Because he was driving erratically. Totally. And then he's like, I've had a lot to drink, officer. Please just let me go on my way. And they're like, absolutely, mediocre white guy. Keep it moving. You get out of here, you. You're crazy. You have fun. You have a good night. So sorry for wasting your time. Sir, you keep it going. I've had a lot to drink. I've had a lot to drink. I've just, I'm I driving. just got to get home. I'm just driving erratically. Freak, get out of here, you. Yeah, I'm going to write myself up for wasting your time. How about that? Just crazy. You just keep going there. Oh, my God. All right, so now we're at September 1990. Yeah. Body count is seven. And Ernest Miller is a 22-year-old dance student. And this is where I've been screaming about it, but we're going to talk about how most of these men are men of color. Yes. And we finally, finally, in the second episode, start to talk about it. Yeah. And Jeffrey Dahmer gets real mad if you think he's a racist. Right. Because the question is, were your victims disproportionately men of color because you hated black? Black people, and he's saying like, no, quite the opposite. Were they racially motivated? It, it was not racially motivated. It was not a sexual preference. It was just to find an obsession with uh, the best-looking young man I could find. <laughs> dare you, ma'am. Yeah, Dahmer's like, excuse me, I murdered these people because I loved them. You're the racist, Karen. And I'm like, you're the murderer and rapist, Jeffrey. Like, go fuck yourself. Like, like, he's so manipulative. And Nancy Glass is like, he would manipulate everybody except me. And I'm like, you're falling for it in this 1991 interview. It would have been a real different interview if it had been you. Look, I... I would like talk about him like he's not in the room. Right. I'd be like, if this bitch isn't gonna be honest with me, I am walking. I can't. Bill, I told you. And why is this water? I don't. He's lying. Poor Bill has been dealing with your shit since the 80s. Bill, get me the copy on time, Bill, and we won't have this conversation. You know what I drink? Double vodka. Let's go.
So three weeks after murdering Ernst Miller, David Thomas, another 22-year-old man he meets outside a mall, he's escalating here. He's escalating here because now what he's doing is he's keeping more and more body parts. So he's keeping them in file cabinets, in his freezer. Oh my God. And he's saying like... I also wanted to keep something. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. And... Uh, I even went so far as planning on uh, setting up an altar with uh, the uh, 10 different uh, skulls and skeletons. And what was the purpose of the altar going to be? Nancy, I don't know how many times I have to say, I just wanted to keep them close to me. I know. So that's why I made that altar with their skulls. And she's like, so he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't make it. I just designed it. You guys, we spend 10 minutes talking about this altar. His plan was to make an altar in his home where he was going to stage the skeletons and the skulls of the men he had murdered and dismembered and kept their skeletons and skulls mm -hmm. and have it in his like living room. And he was calling it a place where I could collect my thoughts and feed my obsession. A place where he could go to collect his thoughts. It's a memorial. You guys, can you imagine? And he's full of shit, Nancy. This is where you ask a follow-up question. Right. No, bitch, you wanted to get off on this, you sick fuck. Like, don't try to <laughs> don't try to right. do that and act like, well, I'm all forgiven now. You can't just turn that off. I'm sorry. I know. So he's just like, well, yeah, because someone found the drawing that we see. You guys can Google it. It you, is crazy. You will throw up in your mouth. I mean, it is so fucking sick to look at this drawing. But I have to I have to dive into it. Okay, please, please. I could not deprive our listeners. Are you kidding me? I also said he's just not a good artist. Like he's right. many things that are bad. Like being a bad artist is yeah. like I'm not a good drawer right. either, totally. but I'm also not a rapist and a murderer. Right. I'm necrophiliac and a cannibal. Like I'm not any of those things. So I could be a bad drawer, okay? I'm not the one on trial here, the Scranton Stranglers. So he drew this thing, and they don't have it on screen. Like you can Google it, it's crazy. He drew like incense. He had like 10 like skulls, and then he had skeletons. But it's just never going to be a thing. But he sat and meticulously made this. And it's like, I can't believe that Nancy's not asking him more questions about. And he's like, why? That's a good question, Nancy. Never really thought about why. I guess to just collect my thoughts, you know, uh -huh. like a den or like an office space. And it's like, no, we're talking about an altar made of the skeletons of the men that you raped and killed. Come on now. So this is when. Grab the, the cocktails or the tea or whatever you need. Go outside and take a walk. This is getting real bad. Grab your gay, you guys. This is when the cannibalism started. I'm too sweaty or else I'd grab you. I know. So we are learning that like the parts of the, okay guys, this is tough. It's this really bad. Tough. It's really bad. The parts of the body that he would like save and freeze were the heart and the arm muscle. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. It was a way of uh, making me feel that uh, they were a part of me. And he literally says to Nancy, like, it's nothing. It was a way of making it feel like they were a part of me. Right, because as we've been hearing, he just didn't want them to ever leave. And I'm like, well, you could just, like, form relationships. Honestly, that's a thing that doesn't get talked about enough here. Like, clearly Jeffrey Dahmer is, like, mentally ill, and he is all of the... He's a murderer. He's a cannibal. He's a dark, evil person. Yes. But, like, they make it sound in certain moments, like, if he could just have been out to his family, then he could have, like, had a good relationship. Like He it, was. This, they shipped him up to pray the game. Anyway, he exactly. was out. Yeah, this whole idea of like, well, if he just could have found the right person, he didn't want to have a relationship with a real, live, breathing human. Right. He wanted to assault and eat dead people. Right. He right. didn't want to have a marriage like we have. Totally. He didn't want to have a marriage like we have together and also with our husbands. With our, separately with our husbands. He yeah. didn't want that. Yeah. So to have this whole idea of like, if only, no, that's not an option here. Him being gay is just a coincidence here. It has 100%. nothing to And somebody says that because somebody says like, Jerry Boyle was Dahmer's lawyer. He believes that Jeffrey's sexuality did not lead him to violence. It is my firm belief that if he was a heterosexual, you would have killed girls. No, girl. If he was heterosexual, he would have been doing this to women. He'd have been the cannibal cop. <laughs> I'm mad enough. It's so hot in here. I know, I know. So this is terrible, you guys, but it's more about the cannibalism. One of the doctors is explaining to us how Jeffrey Dahmer cannibalized. Like They are saying like you think of cannibalism as like mad zombies eating flesh, and yeah. that's not what this was. Uh, what he did was to cook a filet of biceps that he'd kept in his freezer, sit at a table, and make a meal of it while looking at 
photographs of that person alive. So I just have a bunch of letters yeah. typed out and I have, it's horrible. I but know. what they're trying to say is that's a ritual and it's uh -huh. his trophies and this is a serial killer. And it's not just like, well, if only he would have a nice relationship and he would make a nice candlelit dinner. He'd have wine. Like this was a nice moment for him. Right. No. <laughs> right. No, just no. I know. My answer is no. And so now we're getting into the, like what they're calling his double life. And Nancy is saying to him, like, how did you manage to be doing all of this sick, perverted shit and also like hanging out with your dad like nothing was happening? Right. So we get this video from Thanksgiving 1990 and I have a theory about it. It's a home video, you guys. And it is really, really crazy to be seeing a home video of Jeffrey Dahmer. Let me set this up a little bit. Sure. Paint a picture. Sure. Jeff is sitting on the couch. Don't call him Jeff. I know. <laughs> We're not friends. You're right. We're not right. his friend. Jeffrey Dahmer is sitting on the couch. It's so weird to say his name. I know, I know. Like he's a real person. He's ugh. Oh my God. He is, but gross. A ghoulish. Can we just say ghoulish? He's ghoulish. <laughs> Fuck, how long has it been? It's been how long since uh, missed opportunities. So many missed opportunities. But he's sitting on the couch and he's like reading a magazine and his dad is saying to him like, hey kiddo, you look good. Well, you're looking good. Grandma was saying Thanks. that that she thought that you got quite a bit thinner, but you look fit. You look fit. You right. Look thin. So basically this video is Dahmer saying like, oh, do I look good? Thanks. Like I've been eating a lot of McDonald's and then the line to end all lines coming out of Jeffrey Dahmer's mouth. He says, like I've said before, it gets too expensive and it does. I have to start eating at home more. I just need to eat at home more. This is 1990. Yeah. He's been doing horrible, cannibalistic, rapist things for decades at this yes, point. Yes, yes. He doesn't even make eye contact. He's thumbing through this magazine. I know. Like it's nothing. And saying this, and to himself, he's like, hey, 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 hey. Yeah, yeah. So my theory is that someone unearthed this video somehow right. and just was like, oh my God. Right. And went screaming. There's a probably used shaped <laughs> hole in the door. Just like, I got it. And Oxygen was just like, you get two episodes. I don't even know what else you unearthed. But that line, Jeffrey Dodd Dahmer being like, I guess I just need to eat more at home. Speaking of Jeffrey Dahmer at home, Nance is like, hey, girl. <laughs> Jeff, she calls him Jeff. We yeah, call yeah. him Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> how, how did you hide it? And he's like, well, thanks for asking, Nance. I don't know. I went to great lengths. I, I bought security systems, uh, installed them myself in the apartment. I had a uh, video camera in the corner of the room, uh, installed locks on the doors, sirens and stuff in case anyone broke into the apartment. He had tons of security cameras in his apartment. He had like sirens, like tripwire, yeah. like everything was locked away. And he was like, there was nothing abnormal about my apartment. Because everyone is saying like, you had body parts in your house. How was it not everywhere? And he was meticulous about it. Yeah, the thing is, you can tidy up, you can get the window treatments, you can't hide that smell no matter what. Yes. So Pam, the next door neighbor, look, she's going to be a big presence in this episode. She is saying that like, it also occurred to me that I guess at this point, she's not looking for a girlfriend for him anymore because she, I guess, knows that there's like, men coming and going. Okay. I don't know where he was getting them guys from, but he would take them in his apartment, you know, and there were a couple of them that I didn't see them come out of there, and I had asked him about that. He said, oh, well, maybe you were in the bathroom or something like that, because they're gone. Which Pam is, which is, is asking no questions. No questions. And it, that's also a very weird conversation for I neighbors know. to have. Oh, I have later in my notes, Pam is definitely the busy bee of the of the building. But she doesn't ask the right questions totally. at all. It's but very weird. But she knows everybody's business. She's talking to everybody about everybody else in the building. And not putting two and two together, right. Pam. <laughs> Pam. Look, it gets even worse. Pam goes into the belly of the beast. We'll get there in a minute. Right. It was right here where Pam was like, I don't know whatever happened to those guys. And I was like, girl, you do know what happened, right? Like, you do know the end of this story. What did you think you signed a release <laughs> right, for? Totally. Like, I don't want to be the one to tell you, but this doesn't end well, sweetheart. It doesn't. No. So switching gears just a tiny bit for yeah. someone who is a little quicker on the uptake. Uh, <laughs> e. Michael McCann, prosecutor, always going to say his full title. I know. So E. Michael McCann, prosecutor, is like... Every year, many young men disappear, have a fight with their girlfriend, get fired from the job, have a fight with the family, and leave. And they're gone a couple of weeks and come back home. They give it very different investigative efforts compared when a young woman disappears. No one had even a suspicion that a serial slayer was afoot. We got 
to talk about something. People don't really care about missing men to begin with. Like, they care more about missing women, yeah. let alone missing gay men, let alone gay men of color, which almost all of Dahmer's victims were. Yeah. So no one had any idea there was a serial killer because there were missing gay men of color and nobody cared. And that makes me crazy. So Nancy Glass is confused about this later. We Nancy. get this whole thing from her where she's like, and another bizarre coincidence was that nobody seemed to notice that there was a killer on the loose and men were going missing. Nancy, these are the kind of people that people aren't paying attention to. Right. And Jeffrey Dahmer doesn't necessarily come out and say that's why he was targeting them. He tells us that he found them the most beautiful. But no surprise to me that no one was looking for these guys and Milwaukee didn't know there was a oh. fucking man-eating predator on the loose. Doesn't that give him such another level of evil that yes. like that he's preying on these people that he knew nobody would care about and how gross is that percent. that people don't care about that I know. and like I just am mad. You guys I'm mad again and you know this is what my dad does too <laughs> the madder the quieter I am now. Oh god. I actually can't stand that because then I start to be like oh my god she's gonna yell. That means oh my god, she's I'm gonna not yell. gonna yell. Oh god. You'll okay. know when I'm yelling. You, uh, well, but we make a living is- off it. <laughs> As do you. <laughs> That is true. (laughs) If that is true, that he preyed on men of color because he knew that as a society, people don't give a shit about them, like, this podcast might be over. (laughs) Like, that is... And if you're listening to this, you should be mad about that. Yes. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but stop smoking and you should be mad about that. Stay in school. This one was harder (laughs) for me than Anti-Anne. This really was harder for me than Anti-Anne. I can't explain it, but I cried watching this. So you were in the studio and I was in the office and I was watching it and I was crying and Steve wasn't there and I was like, I really hope she doesn't come in here and see me crying. But then you came in and started crying. You can always cry in front of me. I know. I know. And I don't know why I was trying to be tough. Can you imagine? Well, you weren't. I mean, I know. We cry about everything to each other. God, I really had a fucking hard time with this one. So Sherry, the stepmom slash mom, is saying like, look, I was in that apartment all the time. I would look in his refrigerator to make sure he was eating. I would look in his bathroom to make sure it was clean. Like, I was there and there was nothing. I didn't see a thing. And then it cuts to Dahmer. I can't believe we can say that. It cuts to Dahmer. And he's like, everything was locked up either in the freezer or in the uh, file chest. And so there was no evidence laying in the, in the uh, open. There was nothing abnormal about the look of the apartment. All of the body parts were in a locked freezer in my kitchen, and all of the skeletons were in that filing cabinet. Like, of course there's oh nothing for you to see. I know, but like, this is the level of his sickness. He was so meticulous that he was hiding things away. Like, he's dismembering bodies in his house. I take this very seriously at the risk of sounding, like, heartless and vile. Can you imagine the mess that that made? And he right. was able to make it so that people could come in and not see a thing? No, absolutely. Yeah. You can tell me you hated doing it all you want, Jeffrey Dahmer, but you love it mm-hmm. because you did it and then you cleaned it up that you can't find a speck of blood like nobody can do that Dahmer did that and he definitely definitely can't do it hammered right exactly and clean up every who's he Dexter are we calling bullshit on him saying he was hammered when he was doing 100%. it 100% I call bullshit on almost everything he says oh my god other than like I did it right, but uh, yeah. this whole like this remorse bullshit I'm not, I'm not buying it for a second totally so we're at 1991 his next victim is 17 year old Curtis Sauter and he was lured from a bus stop and this is the last murder murder before things get you guys really really bad you would think that that's not a thing we could say i can't believe we've said that (laughs) so many times but we're not we're looking out for you yeah so we cut to the word zombies on screen in quotes and it's april 1991 i have in my notes i'm terrified i know so yes he wanted to have sex with dead bodies he also at times had fantasies about having sex with what he referred to as zombies human beings that existed somewhere between being dead and being alive something he later on actually ended up acting upon oh and god we, this is so dark you it's guys really, it's really really bad and yeah. one of the doctors is like his experiments led to the death of someone named errol Lindsay. I credit Oxygen for not really dwelling on this, but what he's doing to these men, because there's another guy, a month later, his name is Tony Hughes. He's 31 years old. He's a deaf man. Which I can't... Well, like, I, I know. I, I mean, it's uh, so... It's just monstrous. All of this is fucking monstrous. Again, fair warning, this is really bad. Mm-hmm. I know some of you listen with your young kids. This is not appropriate no, for no, them. No, no, no. I mean, if you're halfway through episode two of the Dahmer <laughs> shit, girl. I know. But he's drugging these men and then drilling holes in their head. I tried to... Uh keep the person alive by inducing a zombie-like state, by uh, injecting first a dilute acid solution into their brain or uh, hot water. And uh, it 
never did completely work. And Jeffrey Dahmer is telling this to Nancy Glass. Like calmly. Right. And he's just trying to basically like lobotomize them and make them into what he's calling zombies. And he's like, it never did completely work. And I'm like, oh, great. So now add like torturer to the fucking Right, right. And then I just have like, oh, my God. And then Nancy Glass is like, could you ever be stopped or helped, (laughs) Jeff? And he's like, nope. No, I I was dead set on, on going with this compulsion. It was the only thing that gave me any any satisfaction. So after these two failed attempts at creating zombies, which like, I can't even believe what that sentence entails. I mean, think about the stuff that was left out of that. Like if yeah. they woke up, if they didn't, no. what kind of pain they were in. Like this is fucking the most gruesome stuff we've ever covered. Yeah. And so he tries a third time in 1991. And this is the closest call that he's had with the police to date. It's unbelievable. So the documentary sort of tells this story out of order. So stick with us. We're, we're telling the whole story. It's going to start sort of out of order. And we hear a 911 call. Milwaukee emergency operator 71. Okay, hi. Um, this, uh, I'm on 25th and State. And this is young man. He is butt naked. He has been beaten up. He is very bruised up. And some woman is saying that she came across this naked man. It looks like he'd been beaten up. You guys, it's Pam the neighbor. I have that in my notes. I went, oh my God, it's Pam. Pam is calling. 911 on Jeffrey Dahmer, her good old buddy. But she doesn't even know it's him. She has no idea. She just sees this like young looking Asian boy, buck naked as she describes him, bleeding and bruised, and she calls 911. So we learn that this person is a 14 year old boy. His name is Conorak Synthesomphone. So I don't know when we learned this part, but we learned that this kid, Conorak, is the younger brother of that kid that Jeffrey Dahmer molested from episode one. The 13 year old that he was like, I didn't touch them, but I'll plead yes to touching them. Yeah. Like just got off. So we don't get any information. Like, I don't know if he knows the family or whatever, but like this kid is that kid's younger brother. So he was injured and drugged by Jeffrey Dahmer. And he escaped when Dahmer just left this 14 year old boy. Cause I guess he thought he'd like be a zombie by the time he went back. Cause Dahmer had to go buy his fucking beer. I think that oxygen is dancing around this fact because it's really gruesome and ghoulish, but he had already drilled the hole in this kid's head. What had already happened that the police couldn't possibly have known is that Mr. Dahmer had drilled a small hole in the skull of this young man and poured a caustic substance into it, thinking that he now created this zombie. So this kid, he has had a hole drilled in his head. I used to have in big letters, the cops didn't see that this kid is not just injured or beaten up. Come on. I mean, and we're told that like, I guess that the drill hole was like somewhere in his hairline that like the cops couldn't see. But the thing that like gets really fucking breezed over here yeah. is that Jeffrey Dahmer comes back while this kid is talking to the cops. Dahmer twists, you guys. Dahmer, instead of running away, decides to like be on the offensive and goes to the cops and He's like, this is my boyfriend. This 14-year-old incoherent child who looks like, at the very least, he's been beaten up. Yeah. He's like, that's my boyfriend. Yes. And so the cops are like, oh, okay, fine. They bring the 14-year-old back to Dahmer's apartment, you guys. Dahmer himself tells us. They were actually in the apartment, and there was a, a dead young man in the bedroom on the floor. I couldn't believe it when uh, when it turned out that they they... they didn't see anything. I just, I couldn't believe it. The cops do not search the house. They bring this kid back and they don't do anything because they don't want to get involved with two gay guys. And Dahmer's like, look, I have his clothes. Look, here are all these naked pictures of this 14-year-old boy. How do the cops not understand, even if they think they're of age? Yeah. This person is clearly not coherent at all. Yeah. I mean, Look into it. This is basically 30 years ago. Like, the cops are so freaked out by having to talk to these two gay guys. Well, we hear it in the audio. So we get a dispatch where like the cops are talking to the dispatchers and they're laughing. Intoxicated Asian naked male <laughs> was returned to his sober boyfriend. It's closed captioned for us. It says laughter. Yeah. And you hear them laughing. They returned this victim mm-hmm. to his murderer and they think it's hilarious. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I just, I can't get over it. I kind of can't state firmly enough. It's because they were so freaked out by gay guys. That's yeah. literally what it was. And they say- there was was a dead body on the floor in the bedroom. There was a dead body on the floor in the bedroom. If right. they just walked into the house, they would have seen it. Yeah, it was Tony Hughes. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And they're like an intoxicated Asian naked male. Yeah. So they know that he was drunk, that he had no clothes on. They know enough about him. Right. But underage or not, it's gay shit and they just and can't they don't be bothered. Care. And they think it's funny and they don't care. And then the neighbors are like worried about this because they're like, this in our little tight-knit community, this never happens. Yep, we hear another 911 call. It's all taken care of, ma'am. 
what if he's a child and not an adult? I mean, are you positive this is an ma adult? Ma'am, mm -hmm. like I explained to you, it, it's all taken care of. It's as positive as I, I can be. You guys, are you sure? Are you sure that was an adult? Because it looks to me exactly like a 14-year-old boy who's in a whole lot of trouble. Yeah. And they basically, they don't say this, but they're like, ma'am, ma'am, you're being hysterical, ma'am. And yeah. they just shut her up and they're like, we did our jobs. You shut up. Yeah. We're going to sweep this under the rug and we don't really care. They just kept saying it's all taken care of. Yeah. Is it? No, it's not. Right. Dr. Fred says Mr. Dahmer did keep his wits and persuaded them by showing some pictures that this young lad had voluntarily taken uh, that these were just two consenting homosexual adults engaging in sexual activity. I don't think the police recognized the age of this young man at that time. No, like, no. Like, that's also not even how you say that sentence I if know. you're fine with gay stuff. And guess what, you guys? The next day, Dahmer killed him, and that's his 13th victim. Right. And it's disgusting. And if the cops had just done their jobs, if they had just gone in and been like, we're going to return this kid to you, but we're just going to take a quick look around to make sure that everything's okay, they would have seen the dead body on the floor in the bedroom. And why don't you just ask the kid their name? Like, if right. someone can't speak to you and they're naked and they ran away, right. can you ask a goddamn question? I know. So within a week after this, he's not phased by this at all. This is a very close call. Doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Within a week, he murders Matt Turner and then Jeremiah Weinberger. And then 10 days after that, Oliver Lacey. And Dr. Fred tells us things just began to deteriorate. He became like a killing machine out of control. There were just body parts at the end. Oh, all over the place. Like, he's just really spiraling at this point. Great. And because of that, eventually, the neighbors start to report a, quote, foul stench. So guess who's back? Pam. Pam. <laughs> we hear, oh, it was disgusting. I can't even describe it. Ooh. I can't even describe it. It's a horrible smell. Pam is telling us that she and who she calls Jeff are walking up and down the hall trying to figure out where the stench is He's coming like, from. I know me and Jeff had went up and down the hallway smelling, you know, trying to see where it was coming from. Girl, I don't. What could it, <laughs> let's go the total opposite right. way of my apartment and yeah. try to. Ooh, I don't. But that's bad. <laughs> Gotta light some candles tonight, right? Some incense. So then the landlord is just like, no, girl, it's coming from your apartment. So he comes up once. Jeff is like, oh, sorry, my fish my died. My goldfish died. Comes up a second time. He's like, oh, I guess I had some meat that I didn't put away. Meat spoiled, which is as horrifying as that sounds, is the truth. That's true. And then the third time the landlord's like, uh, you, girl, you're getting evicted. I have number three, girl, I don't care. You're evicted. <laughs> but Pam, Pam, the across Pam? the hall neighbor who I'm kind of obsessed with, who just wanted to find him a nice girl to settle down with. No. She comes over and offers to help him clean up his apartment. She goes into the murder apartment to help him like clean. I went in and helped him clean up and he told me, he said, it's the freezer over there that my grandma had sent me some meat and I put it in there and I went back to her house and I forgot to plug it in. The place just fucking stinks. Like, I guess most normal people would be like, that's what a dead body smells like? Yeah, so Pam <laughs> is sitting there and she looks right at me and she goes, Jillian? <laughs> I haven't been around no dead people. I don't know anything about how they smell. I don't know what dead people smell like, so don't you look at me. I know, I know. I said, Pam, I'm looking right back at you. <laughs> Pam has her own journey. I'm not judging. Maybe this is how her trauma resonates, where she's just in a lot of denial. But she still calls him Jeff. I know. And she helped him move. I know. And she's like, the stench that you and Jeff, air quotes, were looking for gets stronger and stronger when you're in his apartment next to his fridge. So put it together. You know how we were saying, like, of course, Nancy felt safe because, like, she's not his type. I don't think that Pam has really digested that about herself because I think that she thinks that she, her life was in danger every night that Jeff Dahmer was living across the hall. No. And it really wasn't. But, like, what a fucking crazy thing to be like, yeah, that Jeffrey Dahmer guy, I was his friend and neighbor. And helped him move. Just wanted to help that gay guy find a nice lady to sit down <laughs> with. Girl. So we're at August 1991. Dahmer's last victim that he murders yeah. is named Joseph Braidhoft. And that's the 17th and final victim that Dahmer actually kills. Because there's one more that leads to the arrest. But Braidhoff is the last one that actually dies. Right. In 1991. Yeah. So now we're at July 22nd, 1991. Jeffrey Dahmer is arrested. So this is the night. And we're now about to like get the crazy story that leads to his arrest. Yeah. And so so Pam, the neighbor, was yeah. home alone and she was like, Jeff was having company over. I was home by myself and Jeff was having Jeff was having some company or something because I could hear music or radio or something playing. Oh, <laughs> how lovely for him. Pam also says, oh, Lord, <laughs> 
that was not a good night for me. And I said, sweetheart, it's really not about you. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I love not. Pam. I really, I would like to have some coffee with Pam sometime. Pam. So the company is Jeffrey Edwards and Dahmer was out of the drugs to knock out Jeffrey Edwards. So he's like, I'm just going to handcuff him. So Dahmer's like, hey girl, I want to take <laughs> like bondage photos. And Jeff Edwards, smart guy, is like, bitch, you're not putting that second handcuff on me. I don't know you. You're not tying me up to anything. We just met. But he's like, I came over for like a quick casual fling and now you want to handcuff me, girl? No, that's not happening. And then I'm like, oh my God, we see Jeff Edwards. He's testifying on the stand. Yeah, so he's not like an interviewee in the documentary, but we see him testifying in the actual trial of Jeffrey Dahmer. And he's telling the story and he's like, he kind of laid across me, put his head across my chest at that point. Like he was listening to my heart because at a point he told me he was going to eat my heart at that point. I'm a little bit confused about all of this because it seems like you have one handcuff on you. This guy is saying all this creepy shit. You definitely don't want to be there anymore. Like, why aren't you just pushing this guy off and running out? Oh, because that's a terrifying idea also. But then he's saying like, look, I knew I was going to die and I wasn't going to go down without a fight. I'm on Edwards' side. I just want a little bit more detail. That's all. Yeah, I think that's on oxygen. Yeah. Because they would rather focus on the fact that Jeffrey Dahmer liked watching The Exorcist 3. <laughs> I didn't even know there was an Exorcist 3. Which he would like, he thought that was like hot to watch with this like hot guy that he brought home like let's watch the exorcist three not even the first one exorcist movies was playing at that time this was part of jeffrey dahmer's ritual he would watch exorcist three before every murderous outing so like oxygen doesn't give the story any justice really but like jeff edwards is like i am in danger girl so edwards is like i said well at least i'm gonna die trying i'm not just gonna sit here and then I just, for some reason, I said, well, I need to go to the bathroom and he didn't follow me at that point. Um, I just have to run to the bathroom real quick. And Dahmer, like he did for the 13-year-old boy, yeah. just like let him out of his grasp and said, okay. And Jeffrey Edwards makes a run for it. This is like this crazy thing where it's like he stumbles upon these police officers and he's like, hey, girls, do you have a, like a, a key that could get me out of this handcuff? He went up to a squad car and says, hey, can you help me take this handcuff off? Well, please ask him what's happening. They try their keys. They can't. So they head back to Dahmer's house to get the key. Either he said, I'm going to bring you back because this guy, you should investigate him. Or they asked him a question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they end up taking Jeffrey Edwards back to Dahmer's house. Right. And now when we hear Jeffrey Dahmer's take on this when he's talking to Nancy, he's like, I have no memory of what happened uh, during the six hours before... the last victim ran out of the apartment. Yeah, I don't remember anything that happened before the cops showed up with this guy and I was so drunk and out of it, I just like pointed them at my bedroom. No matter what happened, the cops go into the bedroom where they see an open drawer that is full of Polaroids, of dismembered bodies, of dead bodies, of body parts. Mm -hmm. And the cops are like, oh shit, cuff this bitch. There are 90 Polaroids. Oh, the whole thing is so fucking terrifying. And that's the whole thing. It's like, oh, you're a neat freak, but you have this like drawer of 90 Polaroids of incriminating shit here. Like, whatever. Yeah. So they arrest him on the spot. Yeah. And they finally look through his apartment. They find severed heads, bleached skulls, a 57-gallon vat of acid used to dissolve human flesh. And inside the refrigerator, neatly packaged body parts ready for consumption. You guys, we are, as they are telling us what they find, we are watching like actual video of people in hazmat suits like removing this shit from his apartment. Is it actual video or reenactment? No, this is real like news video from the time. Oh, is it? Yeah. So they find vats of acid and also neatly packed human meat and skulls and skeletons and then I just have etc. That was when I had to like, I just have etc. I just can't. Yeah. So Nancy Glass is like, Jeff, Jeffy, what changed everything for you? What was the turning point? And Dahmer goes, with sincerity, well, uh, I guess the night I got arrested. Yeah, bitch, I would say so, that that really was a turning point for you. It all changed when you were arrested. Right. But, you know, he does say that, like, look, and this is where I know that you probably rightfully are, like, not falling for it. Uh But he says to Nancy, It was just the realization that there was no point in trying to hide hide uh, my actions anymore the, the best route was to help help the police identify all the victims and just 
make a complete confession. You know, I've watched enough episodes of SVU to know <laughs> that people are, they are monsters, but they can be maybe their arguments scientifically that this is just who they are. Yeah. And so that when they are caught, it's like, well... Like, that's another sociopathic <laughs> thing, right? Where it's like, I did all this horrible stuff and I'm not going to take any responsibility, but right. I can help you in right. some way. Like, it's one, uh, it weirdly might be able to be both ways, but I still hate him. Yeah, I totally you agree know? with all of that. Yeah. So we meet Detective Dennis Murphy. He's the guy who basically is, like, investigating this shit. He's the guy that Dahmer, like, confesses to. I went in and introduced myself to Jeff. And he immediately said, when you find out what I did, you're going to want to kill me. Dahmer confesses to all 17 murders that he did. Starting with Stephen Hicks, who just, who just wanted to go to the rock show. In 1978. You, know? you guys, yeah. this is 1991. Yeah. The other thing, too, is that he describes every murder in detail. And my thought on this was, like, I've never murdered anybody, so I don't really know. Same. But, like, how does he remember every single murder? Because he loved it. Right. Like, that's the level of monster we're dealing He... I'm not saying that flippantly. I'm just saying because it meant so much to him. He murdered 17 people over like 20 years and he can remember the details of every single one. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yeah, he loved it. And so, you know, the news breaks. Yeah. (laughs) And there has been a serial killer that we didn't give a shit about because it was all these gay men of color missing for the most part. And so Lionel and Sherry, his stepmom, are upset. I have right here in my notes, Sherry Dahmer, again, girl, time to change that last name. I know. (laughs) Lionel is like super concerned about my mom, the grandmother who wanted Jeffrey Dahmer to pray the gay way because her house is where murders three, four, and five were committed. And the press has found this house and they are camped the hell out there. And so Lionel's like, we kept it from her. But when she finally was told, she finally succumbed to dementia. We kept it from her. Didn't want her to know how bad it was. And then he goes, when we finally told her, she succumbed to dementia. And I'm like, my grandmother had dementia. That's not how that shit works. Right, right. Totally. That dementia is a, is a terrible, yes. horrible, heartbreaking, awful thing to watch somebody go through. Yeah. Lionel, don't put it on your mom. You have to, like, accept what is happening here. Especially when, like, evidence shows us that you guys all kind of knew all along. Again, you signed the release, girl, for oxygen. Right. Those those sunglasses aren't going to help you now. <laughs> you were just like, the smell was pretty bad. Right, How yeah. many times you, like, come on. I know. Come on. And look, you didn't do the murders. I get it. Like, and he was good at hiding it. I get it. Whatever. Like, you're not responsible. But, girl, like, please, have a little self-awareness when you're giving this interview interview in your goddamn Jackie O sunglasses. I can't. I know. <laughs> I can't. I can't and I won't. Right. By early 1992, Jeffrey Dahmer is on trial for 15 of the 17 murders. And it's not about guilt. It's a sanity trial. So I'm glad to be talking about this because I was like, why is he getting a trial? And we find out Dahmer didn't even want a trial. His parents wanted a trial to determine whether he was sane or not. Like and competent enough to even stand trial. Or but like, why is it up to them? It's like, I don't get it. He's confessed to these murders. It's not not about proving that he did it or not. You're going to put all of these families through the heartbreak of hearing the details. And I guess some of them want the details. I think some of them want it on a piece of paper that he was convicted of all of this. I don't know if I would necessarily want that kind of justice, but I think some people do want like an official record. He did it and too bad. Oh, I just want to go to prison. I don't even want it to have a trial. Like Jeffrey Dahmer, shut up. I can understand being as maybe a family member of a victim. Like, oh, you don't want to go through something? Uh Too bad. Now you're going to have to go through it. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. Like, maybe it would be cathartic. I don't know. Well, the best part of this is, like, after all of these days and weeks of this trial, the judge is like, Did the defendant, Jeffrey L. Dahmer, have a mental disease? Answer, no. Is he insane? No. Was there anything wrong with him? No. He's just a fucking monster. Yeah, he's just a monster. And, like, wow, two whole episodes of this. Like, I knew that from the beginning. (laughs) Well, he gets 15 life sentences. But the thing that's so crazy is he has confessed to 17 murders. Right. 15 of them in Milwaukee and two of them in Ohio. So he's immediately extradited to Ohio where he's being accused of these other two murders that he has confessed to. One of them is that guy, Stephen Tuomi. Right. The other one's Stephen Hicks, the first one. Right. So Stephen Hicks, he is convicted of. But Stephen Tuomi, like, they can't prove that even though he's confessed to it, they can't prove that he did it. Because he was the one that, like, a guy's, again, like, trigger warning, he put in a suitcase and threw it away in the garbage when his grandma was at work so there's no evidence of it although he claimed responsibility Dahmer says he was blacked out during the act and there was no further evidence linking him to the crime it was the only murder he confessed to that he was not convicted of 
that has got to be so unsatisfying for that family. I know. I know. And that's the thing, right? Like, that's why people are just like, we're going to trial anyway. Yeah. And so then after his trial, the victim's families are given the opportunity to make their statement. And there's this one woman. It takes six cops to restrain her. I know. She is. Yeah, she's losing her mind. And she is like in the witness box where you're supposed to be. And she like breaks out of it to go over to him. Yeah. She's like, the cops are holding her back and she is standing in front of him screaming. Good for her. Yeah. She's just like the personification of everyone's like family member who's just like, I want to scream at you, but I I can't. Like she's yeah. just the anger and the frustration is just like, oh my God, yeah. girl. And Lionel says this really amazing thing where he's like, you know, he and Sherry, the stepmom, never missed a day of court. They were there because they love their son regardless. But they were saying like in response to that woman who was re- so angry and upset, like he was saying. Yeah, there, there's nothing that you can to say to someone who is extremely distraught except to give them empathy and uh, try to convince them that you really do care very, very much. And I do. This is where I started like really crying because he was saying like, we care so much about what happened to your family. Right. Like we're here for him, but we also care about you. And like, I really believed it to my core. Mm -hmm. Like what a shitty place to be in as the parent of the murderer where you love your kid unconditionally and you also care so much about what these families lost. Right. It it really just hit me right in my, right in my little tiny heart. And your little teeny tiny heart that grew at least three sizes this day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then it's just like stupid, like Nancy, I'm sorry. Sorry, Nancy. Like, I just can't. Because she, then, like, you, you have a moment like that, and then, like, Dahmer's, like, in the, this old interview, like, I don't really like thinking about it, Nance, because it gets me soups depressed. Like, all I do in prison is, like, watch TV and sleep, and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I know. I try not to think too, too deeply about anything, because then I get depressed. Usually wake up at uh, 6.30 in the morning, go eat breakfast, sleep until noon, wake up for lunch, and uh, sleep until about four o'clock in the afternoon, eat dinner, and then spend the greater portion of the night watching TV. Like he's sentenced to like 970 something years and all these life sentences and just like sentence on top of sentence. Everyone's like, you did it. He's like, I did it. And he's like, thinking about it just makes me sad. I watched like, I don't know, daytime TV, which like, you know, nothing good is on anyway. And then I like sleep all day and I'm like, I'm sorry, this bitch has a TV in prison. That was kind of surprising to me too. Great. And then he's like, you know what? Nothing has any meaning. I deserve to be here. And I'm like, yeah, no shit, asshole. Yeah. I mean, he is a sociopath. So he is just saying what he thinks people want to hear you know he talks about trying to find some sort of meaning in what happened and you know he makes vague veiled threats about maybe taking his life someday and then he becomes like a born-again christian and then he's like i can't do it it would be too big of a sin and then by november 1994 someone's like guess what i'll do it for you right and jeffrey dahmer is beaten to death in prison and in this little oxygen's like in this little sense of irony right he was killed by a barbell and that was jeffrey dahmer's first weapon and i'm like irony or planned murder right Yeah, and so Jeffrey Dahmer dies, and one of the ways this documentary ends, and you know I don't like ending on forgiveness, especially in a situation like this, but we get Sherry, Jeffrey's stepmother, who I kind of love, and she says this crazy thing where, I made friends with one of the victim's sisters, and I was able to get her in to visit Jeff. As nervous as Jeff was, he was able to tell her how her brother died. And she needed that for closure. He was able to tell her how her brother died, and which apparently was what she needed to hear. And she was able to forgive him, which like I support that if that's what she needed to do for her, for closure. Mm -hmm. But it was just this like kind of crazy, weird, like sort of like spiritual ending. And I was like, Oxygen. I want to say to Oxygen, I'm not going to judge how other people mourn or get through trauma, but I'm mad. Yes. And I need Oxygen to know that. (laughs) I think that's great if that lets other people sleep at night but the truth is haven't slept in a couple years now oxygen just let me be mad girl don't put this forgiveness shit on me i'm not gonna do it not today i'm not maybe tomorrow but today mm -mm. not today satan Mm -mm. not today pass that bottle not gonna do it oh my 
my God, girl, we did Dahmer on Dahmer. Wow, what a journey. Uh, I didn't know how we were going to get through that. I didn't either, to be honest with you. We did it. We'll never talk about Jeffrey Dahmer ever again. That's it, you guys. We're no, never doing I'm, another Dahmer doc. Guys, not a fan. Again, just <laughs> hard pass on everything he stands for. But in brighter news, you guys, we're going to Broadway. I don't know if you heard or not. but Yeah, we, that's fun. We are going to be the first podcast to ever play Broadway. Girl, we're making Broadway history. No, Come join us, everybody. At the time of this recording, we've got like 60 tickets left. Go to truecrimeobsessed.com. Click on the CS Live link. It's the only show we still have tickets for. Yeah, come be in the room where it happens. Are you Ooh. shocked it's taken me like six <laughs> weeks to drop that in? I've been saving it. Also, you guys, if you want more Jillian and me, get on the Patreon. Over 100 full bonus episodes to download right the second. Where we do our series, it's the Making a Murder, The Jinx, Serial, Lorena. Yep, Don't F with Cats, Aaron Hernandez, OJ. Uh. Oh, the Menendez murders. That went through us for a loop. Yep, Natalie Holloway. We're in the middle of covering Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway. You guys, after that, we're doing the McMillions. Oh. It's so much stuff. Free up that space on your phone. Go to patreon.com slash truecrimeobsessed or go to our website. Click on the Patreon link. Yep. Girl, what are we doing next? This is for you, super hot husband Mike. We're doing <laughs> the man who would be Polka King. All right, give me the elevator pitch. It's about this guy named Jan or Jan or whatever. He doesn't care what you call him. He was a Polka superstar. Ooh. Kind of in real life, kind of in his own mind. Yes. And he needed money for his Polka empire, so he like scammed all of these people in Pennsylvania, but he is a showman. Oh there are a lot, there's a lot of Polka music. His <laughs> wife is a, is a handful and a piece of work. No murder. It's going to be great. Amazing. Amazing. It's on Netflix. Girl, where can they find us? They can find us truecrimeobsessed.com. All your needs. You got your promo codes, your merch. See us live. See us live. Episodes. Links to the Lady Pates. It's all there. Whole deal. And you are at Patrick Hines underscore on Insta and at Patrick Hines on Twitter. And you're at Julian with a G on all the things. Accurate. You guys, if you haven't heard yet, we made another podcast. It's called Obsessed with Abducted in Plain Sight. Go download all four episodes. You can binge it right this second. Yeah, it's you and Sky Borkman, the director. That's right. It was super crazy. All the shit that didn't make it into the film. New interviews with Jan and her parents. It's bonkers, bonkers, bonkers. Four whole apps. Can't wait to listen. You guys stay tuned for the trailer for The Polka King. Yes. Our insane outtakes. Uh-huh. And we love you. And we lo- and just our love. But yeah. that's like, that's, that's sprinkled in yeah. throughout, <laughs> throughout, right? <laughs> okay. We love you. Bye. 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 He was like this, like, polka god almost. People were just go bananas. He was like a Polish rock star. You'd go up and you'd give him a big hug. Well, I have him bonded. It was like one family. Why you got a Because of his dynamic personality and his love for everybody. He knew how to touch somebody's heart. And by doing that, he got into their soul. I'm loving this, our Polish prince. <laughs> I always thought one day I die, I would like to leave something behind. Everybody can be proud of we thought that little by little he's going to build this up, make it something real big. One, two, three. Thirty thousand to start with. And we said we didn't want the interest just to put it back in. It was like ten thousand at first, and then it was twenty. We just felt we that we could trust him. He could sell an Eskimo at an igloo. That was the first moment where I wasn't able to send the checks out. He knew what the situation was, and he was using every scheme that he could conceive of to keep these people off his back. It was a big mistake to do this. We lost everything we gave him. I don't know what I can do for them. I got a lot in there. Have a good night, pal. Have a good night, all right? be it for me, all right? I'm gonna raise a glass to you with the guys down at the bar. Oh, oh just, just a gem. Look at <laughs> as he's driving off in the distance. What a great guy. Oh, I love him. God. Can't get enough. Oh, my God. He's never gonna actually do it because he lives in an apartment with Pam and her husband down the hall. Like, it's just not gonna be right. a thing that he can do, but in his mind... Pam he, trying to find him a girlfriend, by the way. I know, please. <laughs> Bill, I, I show up on time. I, I'm camera ready. You're not gonna do it. Bill, okay? Look. <laughs> Poor Bill. Bill. Oh god. Well yeah, he couldn't pray the gay away. I know. According to his grandmother. <laughs> like and you and me, you can't pray the gay away. Right, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. do that. So right. one thing that me and his garbage grandma agree with. Yeah. Can't pray the gay away. <laughs> Difference is I'm not gonna try to make you do it. Right. Love you for who you are, no matter what. Listen, you're nothing if not direct. <laughs> nothing clear. if not persistent. Yeah. Or consistent. <laughs> or angry. <laughs> <laughs> just over it. Domineering. Hey! Wait, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you.